good evening and welcome to the writer's room. Yes, you heard me right. It's the writer's room. It's a special feature we do right here on Wrestling With The Future, quickly becoming one of our most popular features. Talking a lot about writers and authorship these days, and we have the creme de la creme tonight. When you talk about authors, and I said it before, I'll say it again. He's got more books out there than King James. Our guest tonight is, if you'll notice behind me, just a smattering of some of his writings, just a a little scattering of, of some of the work that the great Scott Teal has brought to us. And Scott Teal is our guest. He's a returning guest. He's my old buddy from Gallatin, Tennessee. Scott, how are you, my friend? Man, What's I'm shaking doing, in, in the great, great state of Tennessee? Yeah, I'm doing great. Just uh, as you said earlier, I'm up to my eyeballs with work, trying to get this Buddy Rogers book out. And, uh, yeah. And rolled in talk about Buddy truck. tonight, too. We're going to talk a lot about Buddy, and we're going to, going to kind of segue into that book and, and sell even more books for you because <laughs> you're not busy enough. <laughs> so, now, Benny, since you're a, a returning member of the family, I am going to let you have at it with the first question. Go for it, brother. Well, I have a little bit of a statement first, Scott. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant called Fogo de Chao or if you've ever heard of it. No. It's it's one of these places all you can eat, but it's really really good meat, like uh, prime rib, filet mignon, you know sirloin, you name it. And these uh, they call them gauchos. I call them meat pirates, but they come around with this with these skewers. And you know if, if you have, you get this little disc, if the disc is green, if the the green side is up, they'll keep you know serving the meat. And uh, if you know you, when you get tired, you put it on red and they stop. And yeah. <laughs> I remember my, my friend Paul and I, did, when I lived in Minneapolis, we went there and we both had the meat sweats for three days. <laughs> but I'm, my whole point is it's like one of these places where you want to stay there for a week because yeah. it's just so much good stuff. We have and been I, to one of those. Uh, there's a place in Nashville called uh, Rodizio Grill. Say yes, yes. That's very, exactly very similar. It. Yes, yes, sir. It, it was That's awesome. Place. Yeah, same, same, same thing. And uh, my point is like when I go to Crowbar Press – like book wise, it's the same thing for me. There's just so much good stuff that I I don't even know where to start. Yeah. But and then my question was, you know, I I was going to get another book because I'm looking for another one to read, and I was gonna get the Oli book, and then I when I clicked on the website, I saw the the you know the thing for the for Buddy Rogers. So you have one more order that you got this afternoon. Awesome. Uh, it should be in the mail tomorrow. Uh, it, I guess, I, I, as a wrestling fan, I don't really know that much about Buddy. I know that he lost to Bruno in 1963, and he kind of disappeared after that. And uh, does this book get more into, like, what happens afterwards? Yes, it, it sure does. It talks a lot about what happened afterwards, sort of brings you up to date of what happened after Bruno. And uh, there's a lot of stuff about the match with Bruno and the circumstances behind it, how it all came about. Bruno's uh, reaction towards uh, the you know winning the belt, uh, a lot of good information in there. Uh, the Buddy Rogers, uh, even before that, uh, in the book, I, there's a lot of things that I never heard before. Tim dug up Tim Hornbaker, the author, dug up so much great information about Buddy from from a child all the way up till he began wrestling, and it's really fascinating. Uh, one of the things I learned is that Buddy isn't quite the guy that everybody painted him to be. Buddy, a lot of That's people right. paint him to be egotistical refusing to uh, 
put guys over, but he was anything but. He never never hesitated to do a job. Now, he may have argued, you know, we don't really know that, but uh, he's not quite what people, you know, made, made him out to be. And I think that's one of the strong points of the book. I will tell you, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, Scott, and I say this, I always preface it by saying the interest of full disclosure because I'm going to speak truth now. Um, I knew Buddy Rogers. He was my neighbor. In fact, I knew him very, very well. I knew him as a wrestler and as a friend and neighbor. He was also the guy that my father bought his bar off of. My father bought Buddy's bar in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, And I've mentioned it on the show many times. Buddy was was well-known in South Jersey, especially in Camden where he grew up. He was a police officer in Camden, New Jersey. Buddy was a, a really sweet guy. A very generous guy, and people don't know as much money as he made, and he made a shit ton of money. Don't kid yourself. He made a lot of money, but he gave away a lot of money, Uh, and a lot of people will never know that unless you are from this area. You don't know of his generosity. He was a very, very generous guy who gave away thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. to, to, to help people out. Uh, Scott, let's talk about, I don't want to get too much in, into the weeds with the buddy book because I want people to buy it. So we're not going to th- talk too much about the, what's in the book, but let's talk a little bit about authorship. We've been, Benny will tell you that the last two, three shows we've done have had authors. I've had Nick Christopher's, uh, famous noted mafia author, great guy. Uh, we've had uh, Javier Hoist from Pro Wrestling Stories, a, a, a publication that Benny actually writes for. Uh, and we've done a, a number of interviews with George Anastasia, the you know, Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, some, some heavy hitters in the, in, in the literary world. Um, among them, Scott Teal. What goes into writing a book? It, what, explain the discipline that goes into writing a book. Do you start with a premise, an idea, or thought, uh, or are you given these things to work with? Generally, uh, it it's not really uh, doesn't start with an idea. It starts more with uh, something that interests me. Say, uh, say I call Stan Hansen, and I you know I think Stan Hansen would make a great book, and I usually think about why it would make a great book. Stan Hansen was in Japan for so much, and people have a fascination over here with wrestling in Japan, both past and future. So I thought, well, Stan would have a lot of good information on how the business worked behind the scenes, because we don't hear much of that. You know, we read about the matches and some of the things that happened, but not exactly how the business was run in Japan, because it was quite different than it was in the States. Uh, As far as uh, my historical books, Uh, I've had interest, you know, like, say, for Knoxville or Amarillo. I wanted to know more about the early days, so I put out those great wrestling venue books where it talks about the history of Amarillo from the early 1900s all the way up to, you know, till they quit promoting there. Uh, That kind of thing fascinates me, and that's really where the ideas for, you know, the the premise for my books come from. Interesting that you mention Amarillo in your uh, dissertation because I spoke to the king of Amarillo. Just uh, two days ago, Terry Funk. Uh-huh. Uh, I was on the phone with Terry for about an hour. And, uh, you know, thank you, Mr. Funk. He's going to do our show. 
Awesome. So we're going to have Terry Funk as a call-in guest on our show. That's um, awesome. But now it's interesting. Another thing tying right into Amarillo and, and the territories, writing about that, um, for example, we just had Eddie Mansfield on the show and Scott Casey. And it's just it's unbelievable that the... the the history that has not been recorded in written form. It's just, it blows my mind, Scott, that someone somewhere hasn't taken the time to archive and document. The, I mean, just if you just took Texas wrestling alone, just Texas alone, forget about, you know, New Mexico, uh, the rest of the Southwest Territory, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, of course, which is like, you know, it's its own territory, basically. Mm-hmm. There were seven territories in Texas. Right. Um, why has no one uh, jumped on this? And did I just give you an idea? Yeah, uh, you mean as far as writing a, a book about the Texas Territory? Yeah, or even the Southwest in general. No one's... No one to date has ever archived or written about that territory. The, no. the Texas, Arizona, Oklahoma. No Michael McCurdy, I understand, is writing a book on, on the Dallas territory. He's working on it. Okay. Uh, the different part of the problem is wrestling being so secretive and the fact that there, there really isn't a whole lot of information available to the fans. Uh, that yeah. puts a lot of people off as far as writing a book. You can't go, it's like football. They have, you know, all these magazines, all these information about football that, that was out in the open, but wrestling was pretty secretive. We, yeah. They didn't let people know. So there's not oh, as much shit. information. And that sort of leads in uh, what I'd like to say about Tim Hornbaker, who wrote the Buddy Rogers book. We are two different styles of writing. And I, I'm not saying his is bad. What I'm saying is, Tim can take a subject like Buddy Rogers, a guy that's dead, and do amazing amount of research to come up with a great narrative about Buddy's life. I mean, details that most people could never even find. Right. It, it amazes me because he's done the same thing on the territories. He's done the same thing on in several of his books about, you know, it's just strictly history. I don't know how he does it. I've had people ask me, how come you don't do a book on, say, Jack Pfeffer or Buddy Rogers or whoever? Well, they're dead. So you, you mentioned Scott Casey and uh, uh, Eddie Mansfield. Sure. They're both alive. Yeah. So that's what the kind of what I go after. What I want to do is books about these guys because they were there. They know the stories. They know the history. They were actually there and experienced it. So before I begin writing about some of these guys that are dead, I'm going to talk to as many of these guys that are still alive as I can because when they're gone, we lose all the history. We lose all the stories. And you know what, and Scott, and thank you for segueing right into something you and I actually spoke about before. Now, Benny, if you watch the show that, uh, that Scott and I did with Nikita Brezhnikov, uh, and thank you for watching it, um, one of the things that we talked about, Scott, in that show, in that episode we did, was the secretive nature, was the fact that how do you validate the veracity of someone's story who isn't here anymore? And you remember we spoke about that. Yeah. The other thing is now that you you've actually have someone 
that's doing that, it's interesting to see their take on it. Um, would you say that you're a guy who likes to archive the history of the moment for to preserve that moment for future generations? Would that be a fair statement? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's my whole goal is uh, there's so many guys that have passed away. Uh, well, Freddie Blassie wrote a book, but it wasn't very to me. It wasn't all that detailed. But but, you know, guys that, that have passed away. Uh, John Tolos is a good example. You know, he never did an interview with anybody. And there's countless guys like that that have never, you know, told their story. So, yeah, it's very important that we, as I said, we talk to these guys before they're gone because we do need to preserve this history. And that's my whole goal. It's not selling books, that's for sure. I mean, if I I wanted to be a big, you know, make a whole lot of money selling books, I'd be writing about football or something. You're Uh, right. (laughs) Oliver tell you the same thing. You know, he's writing hockey. Thank you for saying that. It's interesting that you say that. It's really, really interesting you say that because there are more. <laughs> but Benny and I spoke about this the other night on the show. There's more being written about wrestling right now than actual wrestling, which is a scary thought. Yeah. There's nothing happening. I mean, literally, Scott, nothing happening right. in the world of wrestling. But yet, it's never been a better time. To, to read about wrestling has never been a better time to write a book about wrestling because I think, and this is just my analytical mind is that I think because there's such a lull in it, I think people are craving, uh, for that sense of nostalgia. And that's what you're seeing being written about certainly in your books. And I, and that's what I love about your books. Um, my friend Nikita Brezhnikov, you might be familiar with him. Yeah. <laughs> you were on the show with him. <laughs> uh, this is Nikki's book, When It Was Real, co-authored by Scott Teal, by the way. Hell of a book. Great book. Um, one of the things about Nikki's book, and we talked about this before, it was written from a fan perspective. He, he had enough insight into inside the business to include some of that but like myself nikki and i are the same age and we grew up in the same area and the same genre of wrestling the worldwide wrestling federation benny um you're a guy who's written uh you have a few articles out there on the internet um you've got one of the masters here go for it brother talk well you know, it's funny you guys are like, it's almost like you read my mind here. One of the questions I have written down is, I'm you know, we're pretty, much, know that. <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty much the same age, thereabouts. You know, I was yeah. born 1955. Um, two years so, old. Not that years. I look it. But, you know, we, we, we read and we write about these, you know, these, these wrestlers, you know, the, the, the stories, the, the, the ribs, the road trips, the territories. And uh, like a 30 year old fan, 30 years from now, I'm wondering, what are they going to write about? They're going to write about Ryback or something like that. Like, what are they? What are they going to write? I mean, absolutely. He's yeah, got. It's, it's got you know, Angelo has. I'm sure 30 years from now, he he can write stories about his experiences. You know, you may have had experience with some of the wrestlers and and not being on the road. But other than that, you know, I'll guarantee 10 years from now, most of the guys are going to be gone that was in the territory era. You know, yeah. they're going to be either old, too old to talk or they don't remember they're you know having health problems so it's really important that we absolutely get 
do as much as we can and talk to these guys as often as we can. I know I sound like a broken record, but I constantly telling people, you know, it's like Nick Bockwinkle. I wanted somebody to get with him and just pick his brain uh, mm -hmm. for everything he knows. But Nick passed away before anybody did that. And that's a shame. The Crusher, yeah. man, I would give love to, to interview Reggie Lasowski. Man, what a story he could tell. Yeah. So guys like that, uh, uh, you know, that we could talk, we could, could have talked to, but now we've lost that opportunity. And all the memories they have, all the history of the, like Bruiser promoting Indianapolis. I mean, he promoted. Oh, my God. You, know, you just took the words out of my mouth, yeah. Scott. You just took the words out of my mouth. Dick the Bruiser. Um, in, again, in the interest of full disclosure, the Bruiser's son-in-law, Scott Romer, is a friend of mine. And I, I know you know Scott as well. Yes. Um, here's a guy, if anybody's going to write a book about Dick the Bruiser, it had damn well better be Scott Romer. Right. <laughs> And well, I there's been one this. written. Richard Bycheck wrote wrote Dick the Bruiser book, and I published oh, that really? one too. Okay. And it's 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 awesome. I, he did a job just like Tim Hornbaker did for Buddy Rogers. He he took uh, Dick the Bruiser, and it's amazing the the amount of the, the you know the facts that he came up with and was able to to uncover about Dick. Well, in in that regard, um, again, you know, we talked about on the previous episode if someone is past, you've got to rely on either one of two things, either the truthfulness of their statements or you've got to somehow validate it. Yeah. With regard to Buddy, I can tell you factually, because I know this, that there are still quite a number of people alive and well who can validate Buddy's story uh, and several of his stories. I am one of those people. I know what happened when Buddy lost. To Bruno, I know those. I because he and I have talked about it. I know what happened in those missing years, and why he came back with Jimmy Snuka, and why he came back to put the tights on again at the age of sixty. You know, it's not something he did that he wanted to do, but he didn't forget who created Buddy Rogers mm -hmm. it was Vince McMahon Sr. and as a favor to his son. You know, he did the favors. Yeah. You know, and in, in the process, he created one of the biggest stars in WWF history, Jimmy Snuka. Right. And I think it's fair to say, Benny, that before before this point, relatively no one, few people knew who Jimmy Snuka was. It was a relative unknown. I tell you what, with the, that uh, Rogers Corner when they had Lou Albano exactly. and 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 Jimmy and you know Jimmy turned face to me was one of the most epic moments in wrestling TV history. And my point exactly, exactly. Did either of so, you? Uh, question I have for you guys: Did either of you have the opportunity to actually see him wrestle or see him wrestle live in his prime? I, I have, yes. I I haven't. I have. Um, although Benny's a bit older than I, just a few years, um, I was, uh, my home <laughs> from the age of six was the Philadelphia Arena at 45th and Market Street in Philadelphia. Uh, I saw Bruno wrestle Killer Kowalski, uh, wrestling as the executioner because he couldn't show his face. He was wearing a hood because he had just broke or busted off Yukon Eric's ear. 
And that's when they called him, started calling him killer. Mm -hmm. They thought he killed the guy. <laughs> uh, if you remember, your, that's, going, that's a history lesson. I saw Buddy wrestle a few times. I saw him once in his prime and uh, once as an older guy uh, at the Philadelphia Spectrum. In fact, I saw him twice at the Spectrum. But the Buddy I knew was more Buddy Rogers the person. Because yeah. I lived right next to I mean, when I say he was my neighbor, you could leave my door and go into his door. He was lived right next door uh, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, so I knew him as a person. I, he was a good guy. He was a straight-up guy, but he was a no-nonsense, no-bullshit kind of guy. He's going to tell you the way it is. Uh, he's going to give you a piece of his mind if he needs to. Um, and he instilled that in the, in the people he mentored, people like uh, Doc Diamond, people like Larry Sharp, uh, all guys that, you know, if you ever had the chance to interview or speak to Larry or Doc Diamond, it's, it's just you're listening to Buddy Rogers when they speak. Right. Absolutely. You know? Frankie Kane, uh, I just came out with the Frankie Kane book a couple months ago. Uh, the second book, he has a lot of Buddy Rogers stories. He he was around Buddy Rogers when uh, Frankie was when he, when Frankie was a teenager, and got to make some trips with him. He tells some hilarious stories about things he said to Rogers and and what Rogers said back to him. And I can imagine. <laughs> so, but but you see that you you asked me what hits my hot button on what I want to write about or who I want to talk yeah. to. Yeah. You mm -hmm. telling what you just told about being around Buddy Rogers, living your. Um, you know, have some connection with him. Your type type of guy, I'd love to do the interview with because you would have information nobody else has about Buddy Rogers. You were and, and I do. Yes, and, and, and there's surprised things you know no that, that other people probably don't. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised no one's contacted. I've been contacted, uh, truthfully. I'll go straight straight up. I've been contacted by other authors, uh, and have contributed to other books. Yeah. Um, no one has ever asked me to contribute to a Buddy Rogers book. Uh, British Bulldog, um, to contribute to a Brett the Hitman Heart book. All people, by the way, who I knew marginally. Right. But I knew Buddy. And, and people the know that the reason is, I'm sure Tim Hornbaker would have talked to you, would love to have talked to you, but he probably didn't realize the connection. Oh, I'd still like to if he wants to. Um, Benny, go ahead. Well, um, I was going to ask, because I, I heard the last interview, and uh, Scott, I think you said you started watching wrestling in 1968. Yes, sir. That's right. Okay. And you grew up in the Tampa area? Yep, just below Tampa, in a place called Bradenton, small okay. Tampa. Okay, Bradenton? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Newport Ritchie. I'm probably about an hour from there. Oh, yeah. I know we're in Newport yeah. Ritchie, yeah. So, I mean, my magic moment was in 1967 for Christmas, my parents got me a Hitachi 12-inch TV, which I proceeded to bring up to my room. And then, you know, uh, you know, after Christmas, and uh, I was, you know, messing around, and I, I saw this UHF dial, and I started messing with it, and I hit Channel 47, which was, I think, WNJU, Channel mm -hmm. 47 from Newark, New Jersey. And by chance, it happened to be on Saturday night, and I found Capital Wrestling with Ray Morgan. Oh wow! And, and I was your heart. <laughs> I, I was hooked. Yeah, I was. Just, I mean, I was hooked at that moment. And I was just hey, wondering, like, what was your magic moment? Uh, oh, 
when I first started watching that first day, that first show I watched, and I explained that story about you know being at somebody's house and everybody went in to watch wrestling, and it was the Gladiator, Ricky Hunter. He was under a mask, and he, what happened was he had won a wa- uh, the fans had given him a watch because he was such a good guy. They loved him so much, and during the show, all of a sudden he comes he comes out. Well, they're cut carry Joe Scarpa out. It was Wahoo McDaniel, and I can't remember who. He, who the other one was, but anyway, Joe Scarpa was all bleeding and bloody and all he could say over and over was, I tried to stop him. I tried to stop him. I couldn't, I tried to stop him. What it had happened was the great Malenko and Hans Mortier, the hated heels at the time. And I mean, people hated those guys. Oh boy. <laughs> they, they broke into Ricky Hunter's locker, the gladiator's locker to get the watch. Well, Joe Scarpa. So this story goes, you know, tried to stop him and they bloodied him up. That just absolutely caught my attention. And within the next few weeks, Jack Briscoe got his hair cut by the medics. They, they caught him, put him, caught his arms in the ropes, and they cut a bunch of his hair off. Uh, Dick Dunn, that, I can never forget that. Dick Dunn was the good doctor. He was the manager, of, a mask manager of the medics. This was before Dr. Ken Ramey came along. Yes. And Dick Dunn was in the, in the ring as the good doctor and and. and uh, I believe it was Briscoe got in the ring and pulled the mask off. And I can still hear Gordon Soley. I can hear his words, his voice in my head saying, it's Dick Dunn. It's Dick Dunn. I'll never forget that. But those right there, that those things right there, if, if I never saw anything, that hooked me on pro wrestling. And I never looked back. We, it, it, it aired two times a week. It aired on Saturday night and it aired on Sunday afternoon at one o'clock. It was the exact same show, but I watched it both times every week. <laughs> My come to Jesus moment was 1965. You mentioned Ray Morgan. I'll, I'll throw a name at you. Bill Cardell. Chili Billy. Chili Billy. Chili Billy Cardell. Yeah. Studio Wrestling from Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania. That was that was my moment. That was it. it was after that. The fat lady sang, Benny. <laughs> I tell you what, if somebody found the archives, like some film of that studio wrestling, they'd be a millionaire. Oh, oh my absolutely. God. I wonder if any of that stuff still. You never still see that. I mean, I looked on, I've looked on YouTube. I can't really find much of anything. You find you little know, clips. You're not. You're really not. You know what happened, though? Back in those days, and it's funny, um, Scott, maybe if, if you've come across this too, in, in, in the Tennessee southern area, they used to bicycle the tapes. Yeah. Uh, which literally means that they would record over them. Well, bicycling, see, bicycling really meant they would they'd send it to the Tampa TV station. Yeah, it would go and when they finished, they'd send it to Fort Myers and they'd send it to Fort Lauderdale or wherever. Yeah, and they then, would literally then, send it to different towns. Yeah. Yes, and when they got through bicycling, yes, then they would tape over it. Exactly. And I understand that they cost a lot. And something else I've said, people people say. You know, I've heard people say about Ole Anderson, how dumb he was to get rid of all those those old films, you know, those old um, uh, reels of 16-millimeter film. Well, yeah. you stop and think, when a one 16-millimeter film reel, an hour of film reels is like this. Yeah. It's now, you figure yeah. 52 of those every year, plus, you know, you don't have to save the, ones you, the duplicates you made, but even if you save yeah. just one a week for 52 weeks... You think how much space you would need to save all those things. I mean, eventually well, you need a warehouse. I'll tell you who bought a bunch of them and who still has them. Jim Cornette. Yes, he did. 
Yeah. And there is Jim a guy Ford in uh, a bunch of them. A guy in a good friend of Oli's that owns a lot of the old 16 millimeter stuff from Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he's it's, I don't know if he's got it in a warehouse. I don't even know if the guy's still alive. Uh, he he's I talked to him about it a few times, but uh, well, you know, I could tell you. Uh, it's interesting that you talk about that because I know that one of the guys who I know personally who has ownership of quite a bit of that original footage is uh, George Pantis. Hmm. And I don't know if you that. know George or not. George no, is in Where did he get it? Hmm? Where did George it's, get George it? Is the he recorded it. It's, it's a great literally, guy. He was, he was literally the... The uh, the film guy. I mean, that's a lot of it's uh, oh. sixteen millimeter and eight millimeter film. Uh huh. Um, it started off as sixteen millimeter, and then as time progressed, he got the you know the the super eight millimeter. The, the you know the the first version I, I suppose of the handheld camera, yes. if you will, because it was you know a lot more compact. But George Pantis owns quite a bit of uh, the, the footage, the film, the video, uh, the photos. He bought uh, the rights to a lot of the photos. Mm-hmm. Um, another person to talk to about that is Peggy Lathan, who has a lot of that archive stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but these are, you know, these are names that you can find, you know, all over the place. They're yeah, I very know, I know Peggy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, everybody knows Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> She's she the, the first lady of wrestling, really, if you want to think about it. <laughs> um, so when we were here last time, and we left off at a really good spot as I, that I can pick up on now. Talk about getting inside the writer's room, you know, in, and, I, and by the way, and just to backtrack myself for just a moment. Um, when we last spoke on the show, you said, uh, when, when you have Kenny Casanova on, ask him about that Vader story. Mm-hmm. I did have Kenny on and we did in fact speak about that Vader story. Yeah. And he said, yes, Leon was a pain in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. And well, I'm glad I left him behind. Yeah, I'm glad Kenny's I dropped that great, idea. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny's a great guy. He's a That's terrific guy. Yeah. Uh, fun. A lot of fun too. Um, but let's talk about getting in the head of the writer. Now, Benny, you're a guy who writes, okay? When you, and I would, I'm doing this for comparative purposes. When you write, Ben, do you have a subject matter in mind or does, do, do things hit you spontaneously? To me, it's a combination of both. Like, Right now, uh, I'm actually working on a story about Dominic DiNucci, who's another guy who's got, and he was a guest of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you for some help there, Angelo, on that one. Um, That's what I'm the, here for. The guy is, I mean, he's going to, I think he's going to be 90 years old in January. Yes. And, I mean, you could probably listen to that guy for a week straight, 168 hours, and he probably wouldn't repeat his story. And, he's got enough of them. God bless him. <laughs> and and you guys, you know, we're talking earlier about preserving yeah. stories and you know the history, and there's one right there. Two hours, Absolutely. Scott. I had Dominic for two hours, and he didn't tell the same story twice. Awesome. Well, you know, if you if you have the questions, you could you could talk to him probably for two days. You could probably oh my god, please. Hours. Oh. Now, not it's everybody crazy. can do that. I mean, there's some guys that people say. 
well, so-and-so would make would have made a great book because he was main event everywhere. Well, that's not true. Uh, there's guys I've talked to, Mongolian Stomper, Archie Goldie. I, I talked yeah. to him. I gave him, I had 18 pages of questions. I asked him every question, and we ended up with an hour and 45 minutes worth of stuff. Some some guys just don't have the either the, you know, they, they just don't know how to tell a story or they don't remember, yeah. you know, the stories. But then you got other guys, and I use J.J. Dillon as the example all the time. You put in a quarter, and he'll talk for an hour. You know, he, he's I so, love J.J. He remembers Frankie. <laughs> that was a very good book too. I read Thank his. You. I read his book. Excellent book. Thank you. Frankie Kane's the same way. Uh, I just published the one book on him, and got there'll be a second volume coming out. And that's it's funny. We were down there with Frankie and his wife uh, just uh, a month ago. I went down, took a bunch of books so he could autograph them. And when we when we were sitting there, we sat there with them. We had dinner with them several nights, and uh, and then during the daytime, I'd spend it at, at Frankie's house talking with him. I wound up with six pages of notes, and I'm not talking about when he tells a story. I write out the whole story. I'm talking about if he tells a story about. Uh, Buddy Rogers and the uh, going to Toledo, Ohio, and he tells his 15-minute story. I just write Buddy Rogers going to Toledo, Ohio, and that's it. That's all I wrote down, and I have six pages of just that kind of notes. Wow. What, I, what I'm gonna do is call him, and I'm gonna say, okay, we're gonna start recording. Tell me about Buddy Rogers and the car ride to Toledo, Ohio, and Beautiful. let him tell the story. He's got, I'll guarantee, almost those six pages of notes, he's probably got another half of a book. It's amazing. I believe it, brother. You know, you mentioned J.J. Dillon. He's been on our show, God, a half a dozen times already. I love J.J. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. His book, you know, there's a couple of books that you guys worked on that were that were different. Of course, Nikita's book was different because it comes from the, pan, the fan perspective yeah. when it was real. JJ's book, you know, JJ is a guy, like you say, you know, you put a quarter in the machine, he'll talk for an hour. But JJ's one of those guys that's very detail oriented. Oh, yeah. He remembers everything. Yeah. Where did the title of, because, uh, you know, you don't think of a wrestler book associated in any way, shape, or form with seagulls. Right. But where did, you know, uh, wrestlers like seagulls come from? That, it was a direct quote from Vincent McMahon Sr. Uh, and I don't remember the circumstances, but he, some, somebody asked him something about some wrestler, and he says, that's the way the wrestlers are. All they do is squawk and blank like a bunch of seagulls. And that, oh, that's God. where that came from. And, and I, makes, I would have never thought, thought of using that title, but J.J., he says, we need to use that title. And I said, at first, I thought, that just does, it's I was like you. I thought... That doesn't sound like a wrestling book, you know. How is wrestlers yeah. like are like seagulls going to sell a wrestling book? It's it, funny it, though. It, it was perfect, perfect. It it would not only was, it, but it's a hell of a book. A uh, hell of a book. I love that book. Thank you. Um, I've read a lot of your stuff. You don't know that, but I troll you, brother. <laughs> um, Benny, go ahead, brother. I want to. I want you to, to have the opportunity to. Right. to well, let me ask, uh, let me ask I, Benny. I want, let me ask Benny first. Go ahead. Where, where, I'd like to know where what you've written and where I can find some. I'd love to read some of the things you've um, written. You know, I'm, I'm catching up to the rest of the world. I've written a couple of stories uh, on ProWrestlingStories.com. One is uh, from, it's called Campo del Sogni, which is Italian for Field of Dreams, because I met Bruno San Martino at uh, Rico's in Pittsburgh in December of 2017, you know, a few months before he passed away. I actually had Christmas dinner with him. 
And it was just a dream come true. I mean, literally, it was my field of dreams. And I, and I wrote about that. And then I wrote another one about, I called it the time machine. I was actually in the, I believe it was the November 1969 issue of uh, The Wrestler, you know, The Wrestler magazine. They used to have a pen pal section. Yep. And, you, you know, you put your little, your little, I had my little junior high school picture in there. Oh, and, awesome. Uh, you know, with my, my address, which up until two years ago, you could have still mailed me a letter. And it would have got to that address because that house was in my family for years and years. <laughs> oh, that's but, um, You know, I just said who you funny. wanted for pen pals. But back in the day, so that's what you did. You wrote to each other. Yeah, and exactly. I, so I wrote, I wrote about that as well. And, you know, I want to I want to I'm going to write about Dominic because that's still from the heart. But I think after that, I want to stretch it a little bit like Javier Oist, who was on the show uh, last week, who's a phenomenal writer. I know Amazing. him. Yeah. I, I want to. Yeah. Javier's a great guy. Great it's kid. something where maybe I don't know that much about it, but I have to stretch and do some research yeah. and, and re- try to come up with something. So I want to try to expand myself a little bit. Yeah, that's the key, especially like when you talk to Dom Danucci, and if you ever decide to do a book or, or even a lengthy piece on Dom, do a lot of research. That's what I do. These guys, they, it's funny because they, that almost all of them, you know, what, what some at some point in the interview work, and I'll do anywhere from 15 if i'm doing a book i'll do anywhere from 20 to 80 hours worth of work as far as Mm -hmm. uh, interview work but they always tell me they say man how do you find that they just can't believe i know all this stuff about them but it's because i get in and i dig i dig through the old newspaper i dig through magazines and it's funny you mentioned this pen pal uh the pen pal column that's where i got uh, my i never had my picture in a pen pal column in the national magazines but Mm -hmm. i did have an ad in there for a little newsletter that I yeah. published, oh, it was a few years after I started watching wrestling called the Tampa scene. And that's where I got my start. Wow. And I was just recently looking through a bunch of old magazines and I probably ran across yours, your picture because I have a lot of them and it has all those pictures. And I looked in to see if I, and I found a few of people that I, that I know now that I didn't know before. And here's this picture of them when they were like 15, 16 years old. It's really cool to see that. Against some of them were, you know, even end, ended up being becoming pro, professional wrestlers. Well, I think Taz Taz was in there. Peter Sinerka, I think his name uh-huh. is. Yeah. <laughs> Funny that was stuff. An awesome thing to think. You know, how many people get their picture in a magazine that is sold on a newsstand nationally? I mean, that's really cool. You know. That, that, that you've got your picture. And that's something a lot of kids, yeah. you know, brag about, you know, say, look here, my pictures, it, it's, it's pretty neat. You well, know, and I, and the only, it, it I don't really know, maybe is. other it, magazines did it, but I, I think wrestling is probably the only sport that actually did, did anything like that. And, and you know what? And it really does. It's, it's a unique form, whether you want to call it a, a sport form, an art form, and a, whatever you want to call it. It really is a unique genre. Um, to have, you know, again, to, to see your name in print and to hear yeah. someone tell a story about you is, is a flattering. You know, my friend Jimmy Valiant wrote about me in his book, which and I have a copy of that as well, mm-hmm. which was very flattering. I've known Jimmy for 35. Oh, my God. 35 years. Book. Yeah. But Benny, I want to get back to you for a minute because, Scott, Benny is selling himself really short. <laughs> he told you about sitting down with Bruno and having dinner, but he didn't tell you about how it came about. So go ahead and tell Scott the whole story now. So I have a friend, Mike Migat, who became was a fan of Bruno's and actually became a very close personal friend of his. And Mike and I had been friends on Facebook. And it was around, around early October uh, 2017. 
And I posted something on Facebook. It was a, a tribute to Bruno for his birthday. So uh, Mike called me and said, you know, I'm bringing Bruno out for his birthday. Um, would you mind, you know, would you mind uh, me reading his your tribute? I said, would I mind? Are you kidding me? Like, of course. And he goes, well, don't be surprised if, you know, if, if you hear from him, if he calls you. I said, yeah, right, sure. Like, you know, whatever. You know, I'm thinking like, it, there's, you know, there's a better chance of me waking up with black hair tomorrow than that. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I was working at a car dealership in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. My, by, by the grace of God, I wasn't busy with a customer. Right at six o'clock, my phone rings. And uh, Mike, Mike said, Benny, there's somebody who wants to speak to you. And like, there's no, nobody can imitate Bruno's voice. Right. And, and I, I, my heart almost stopped like right then and there. And, and I'll cool. just remember the, 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 what he said to me was, Benny, where did you learn to write those beautiful words? And right. I said, Bruno, when you write from the heart, it's easy. Absolutely. And I guess, and we chatted for a while. I mean, it was a dream come true right there. If, if it had ended right there, it would have been perfect anyway. But, you know, Mike called me about a week later and said, uh, Bruno really liked you. Uh, they're having a big get together at, at Rico's for Christmas. You know, would you want to uh, would you want to join us? And within a half an hour, I had my plane ticket bought, my hotel room booked, and I already requested the PTO from work. There was nothing was going to even death wouldn't have stopped me from, from right. being there. And I mean, like I said, you know, besides my kids being born, probably the greatest night in my entire life. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's, when that's Angela was why I wanted him to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, Scott, that's why I wanted Benny to elaborate, because it was all perpetrated by something he wrote. Yes. So words are important. Words yes. are critical. Do you give great thought and great weight to the words that you write and how they will affect people? Or do you just put it down and let the chips fall where they may, like a lot of people do? Yeah. No, oh, no. Uh, you know, a lot of my books are based on I uh, do the interviews and then I write the whole book. You know, I take what they told me and I write it in a form as if they they wrote it. You know, uh, I, and I, I couldn't do I couldn't write a book like that if it wasn't for the guys. You know, if they didn't tell me the stories and share all right. the information that they have. But at the same time, I take I take what they wrote and I, I I'll change it a little bit, re, you know, change words to make it, more. you know, more fluid to make it sound, uh, to explain what they're trying to, you know, say a little bit better. Right. Uh, and it's like Frankie Kane. I, I, you won't believe the files of words I have on Frankie Kane. I, I, I've got at least one more book and probably a book and a half, but it's incredible. The work, the hardest thing for me right now is taking everything he's told me and moving it. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. I'm trying to get it all piece together so it flows from 1961 all the way yeah. to equip well actually all the way to today you know it's hard to do that but yes absolutely words mean a lot and yeah. uh, you can you can tell a story in a certain way that it has a whole lot more meaning or at least it explains the meaning uh, you know a lot better than this if you just put down whatever they said um, we talked the last time about the, the sometimes combative nature of, uh, of wrestlers and how they can be, uh, oftentimes they can be difficult. Sometimes they're not real bright and you have to extract from them like, uh, like being a literary dentist, yes. you know. Um, have there uh, been people that have come to you or uh, have people come to you on behalf of other people and said, uh, Mr. Teal, we uh, we think there's a great story here. 
a great life story. We'd like you to write this. Um, and upon reviewing it, you said, no, I can't do this. Yeah. Has, has moments like that happened? Yeah, and there are some guys uh, that that I, generally what I do is I'll say, yeah, let's let's do a little bit of talking. Let me ask you some questions, and we'll see if there's a possibility of a book. Most of the guys aren't that they'd love to have a book with their name on it, but some guys don't have enough information. They don't have enough stories to have a whole book. And and what I'll end up saying is, listen, I'd like I think you you have a great story. Let's get as you know talk as often as we can, get as much information as we can, and we'll use it in my wrestling archive project. And what in my wrestling archive project books, I have anywhere 16 to 18 interviews with the guys. They, yeah. At that point, they realize they don't care so much that they have a full book, but the fact what they're more interested in, and I help them realize that, is that their story is told. It doesn't matter if it's 60 pages, if it's 100 pages, their story is being told. And a lot of guys, their, their whole story that, they, that I'm able to get out of them is told in that 60 pages. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you can, depending on your use of vocabulary um, and what you put behind it, you can take a story that would fill a 400-page book, you know, and just using the right vocabulary and verbiage and, and cut out, you know, the, the, as Benny would say, you know, just the meat, not the filler. Yes. You know, on 150 pages, it will will tell the same story, you know, as a as a book that looks like the New York phone directory. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, my my first book, Psychic Fingerprints, was 150 pages, 149 pages, plus the inside cover sheet. Um, my second book was 127 pages, and was more well received than the first one. I, I'm interested in that book, Angelo. I'll give you a copy. That's the one that has, you know, the, the mysticism and it's threaded in with the theology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You'll that, love it. That sounds very interesting. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's not always about page count. I had a guy one time, an author, who said, you know, he wanted his book to be, you know, have a bigger font, so it's three hundred and some pages. I said, I don't want yeah. a bigger font. You know, I, I said I want a book. It's in whatever font, which preferably the font that I use because I try to make my books uniform. But yeah. I want the story as much. If that, if that book takes 300 pages to tell the story, great. We'll have 300 pages. But if it takes 150, 200, that's fine because people are going to enjoy it. But if you just start throwing stuff in there just so you have a bigger book or so you, so people think you've got a bigger story, yeah, they're they're going they're not going to you're going to get bad reviews for one thing. You well, know, it's ego too. I mean, let's be honest, Scott. It's ego. Somebody yeah, wants to be able to you know to pick up a big, thick, heavy book. Yeah. You know, Nikita Brezhnikov's book, two hundred and eighty-five pages or two ninety somewhere around there, right? But it within that. You know, three hundred page book. You've got probably seven or eight hundred pages worth of stories. It's oh, absolutely with information. But it's both because it's packed. Yes, it's really packed. You know, you and Nikki did a hell of a job of uh, editorializing that book. That's why, whenever I refer to you know the definitive wrestling book, it's got to be one that was real by Scott Teal and uh, Nikki Brezhnikov. Um, because, well, I'm mean, think about it because it's, 
it's it's all encompassing. It's the fan speaking, but that fan happens to be a guy who got lucky enough to work in the business for a good right. period, you know, a good period of time. And, and he thinks and, and he thinks exactly like ninety percent of the fans who watched that same those same matches at the time during the seventies. Exactly. He is exactly what a fan would have been during the, that time. Yeah, uh, and I want to correct something you said that uh, I co-authored the book with uh, with Nikita. Uh, a lot of the books, most well, yeah, a lot of the books I wrote, I wrote myself because I interviewed guys, I did tons of research, dug it out of them, like you said a little while ago. But there's a, other guys like Nikita, Tim Hornbaker. I've got my name on there because I added some uh, quite a you know bit. I added some things Nikita's. Uh, I I rechecked yeah. Nikita's uh, research to be sure every, all the dates were correct. And yes, I added some things, corrected some things, but I didn't do enough on that book to be considered you know a co-author. I am well. Let me ask I you. I am with Scott T. <laughs> that, that's a that's a really good point. Um, let me ask you a question from a, from a tech maybe it's a technical question, but it says with Scott Teal. Now, uh, that means that you were involved in it in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, is it does that differ from co-authored by? Yes. Uh, okay. Co-authored is two guys working together on a book. Pretty. Much. Okay. Now, gotcha. Now, th- there's also a difference between an e- to me between with and between an editor. A with is a guy who adds things. To, mm-hmm. to, to expand the narrative, who finds out things that the author didn't know and adds that in there. A with is a guy who also uh, does research and corrects a lot of things. Now, you have an editor. An editor pretty much goes through and just corrects grammar errors or typos and uh, looks for things like that. Maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, of flow, how the story flows. You know, say, okay, how about we change this word here? But uh, so there's all, almost three different types of, uh, of writers as far as, uh, you know, helpers for other writers. Yeah. Like I said, you got your co-author, you got your with, and you got your editor. And I'm sort of like the guys on the old wrestling posters. I'm sure you guys remember one other match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with yeah, Scott one other I'm match. just sort of a sideline. OK, I'm just sort of filling out, filling out the card. Uh, or or uh, <laughs> if they didn't have enough room, they would put. And more. And many right. more. more. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you a question. How much involvement did you have with Mike Hornbecker in this uh, Buddy Rogers book? Tim Hornbecker. Uh, oh, Tim. I did a right, solid Tim. edit on it. There's a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot, but there wasn't hardly any um, corrections to be made uh, as far as uh, research. Some of it I trusted Tim, and I really didn't check it all. But Tim has been proven uh, on his other books that uh, he's an ace when it comes to doing research. You know, yes, I found yeah. a few things. Yes, I change words because uh, I have a certain way of I want things to flow. Yeah. And I, I did sure. change, a, I'd say, quite a few sentences. And it, it wasn't the content of the sentences, but it was the way they were worded mm-hmm. uh, or maybe he put something at the end of a sentence and I moved it at the beginning to make it flow better. But Tim is a writer's writer, and I went into the project a little bit worried because a lot of guys, you know, they tell you, yeah, I'm not really a writer. You know, if you can make it sound better, great, you know. Well, Tim's a writer's writer. He knows what he's doing, and he was just absolutely wonderful to work with. Me, personally, if somebody did to me what I did to Tim Hornbaker as far as wanting to change 
gram grammar and sentences, I'd probably been offended. I would think, you know, I've been writing for, you know, 25 years, you know, and you're going to yeah. try and tell me to change this sentence. He never balked. Now, there was a few things he said, well, I'd prefer to leave it like this because of so-and-so. I'm good sure. with that. That didn't bother me. It's not going to change the whole scope of the book or anything. But sure. he was wonderful to work with. And you know how people are. It'd be like a wrestler. You know, you tell a wrestler, you know, you should have done this in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> that. They're going to take offense to it because they know their job. Yeah, that's going to go doing. over like a fart in church. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, Tim was, um, Tim was how apparently the book is a well-received uh, Judging by the fact that we almost canceled tonight's appearance because you're so damn busy. <laughs> yeah, we're quite under the gun right now. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not going to keep you too much longer. I do have a couple technical questions, though. Sure. You know, the name says Crowbar Press, right? Right. So when somebody writes a book, do they solely um, accept responsibility for the content of that book? Or do you as... The, the face and voice behind Crowbar Press, are you ultimately responsible for what their, your and their name go on? It's it's sort of a mixed bag. You know, it's really both of us. I don't think, I don't even remember if I have anything in the contract uh, that I use with authors, whether I have anything in there that says that they take the sole response. I'd have to look that up. I don't even remember because I don't use the contract most of the time. But uh, I, I don't remember. I could have something that says the author takes responsibility for any remarks made or any content. Right. But even if he, even if he did, even if it said the publisher has no responsibility, no liability when it comes to anything said, any libel or anything, yeah. it doesn't matter. If somebody wants to sue you, they're going to sue you. And if they want to come well, and that's me, you, you just went there. You just went there because here's the thing. The last time we spoke uh, on the previous episode, um, you, I, and Nikita got into a conversation about um, just that, the liability factor. Um, you know, how, again, it's how do you prove someone's liable if the person you're writing about is is no longer here? Yeah. Uh, or if someone is being referred to that's deceased, how do you, who do you sue? It's like, like Kenny Casanova said, who do you sue? Right. If they're dead, who do, who who do you sue? Right, I've yeah. wondered about that myself. But, you know, it's like Rocky Johnson. You know, uh, all that fiasco. Uh, his oh book yeah. The shed. yeah. I think we, it's we funny, but we were that in, at length. Yeah. We were in Virginia last week at uh, with Charlie Thez, Lou Thez's widow. We were spending a week with her, hmm. and we went in a bookstore while we were there. And right on the bookshelf in the sports section was the Rocky Johnson story by Rocky Johnson with Scott Teal. And those things are selling for big money online now. But there, I will tell people this. There are bookstores that still have copies on the shelves because they didn't return them to ECW Press when all this went down. Well, so, yeah. So, yeah. And I've got another, probably another whole book of stories that Rocky told me that wasn't even included in this book. I well, could publish and another whole book. But my question is, what's the can could The Rock come along and sue me, say, Say, you can't publish this stuff about my dad. I don't know if I have the right to. I always wondered if, if I do an interview with somebody, and I'm not talking about uh, being sued for libel, you know, or saying something that wasn't true, or, mm -hmm. or them saying, I didn't say that or whatever. I'm talking about, can you actually publish an interview you did with somebody 
or do you have to have their permission, especially if somebody was alive? I don't. That's I don't the really that's an interesting. That's a really interesting question and very topical and very timely. I was approached, and I will say this on the air because it's it's out there, so it's no secret. I was approached by a young woman to help her author a book on Rocky Johnson. You know who that young woman was. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know about uh, we, yeah, we're, we're not going to mention her name. Right. And I told her categorically, undeniably, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm not touching that one with a 39 and a half foot pole. <laughs> to quote the Grinch. Um, yeah. And not because I, you know, I didn't want to contribute to her book, but I didn't know and do not know now whether the authenticability of that book is in dispute. Right. How do I know she's not just making shit up? Yeah. And yeah. so as a way of protecting myself, I had to say, no, you on the other hand, have information from the horse's mouth, yeah. which makes it a whole different story. You know, I'm not, you know, a, a legal brain trust, I, I, but I could put you in touch with one um, who knows this stuff when it comes to literary, because uh, there's a whole that's a whole nother, uh a line of of uh, law practice. Yeah. Dealing with authors. That's a whole different volume. But I would just say off the top of my head, you're probably safe. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I save for one thing, I save all the audio recordings, you know, I save them. And, and there you go. Like that that's it right there. You got yeah. it on tape. Most if of them on time, tape, I've it. got time stamps, tells what time they said different things, so I can yeah. look it up, up if I need. Rockies, I didn't do so good a job keeping time stamps, but I've got and it all. And here's how you get away with it, Scott. And here's how you get away with it legally. You wrote, you write down the title of the book as told to, you know, yeah. by Rocky Johnson as told to Scott Teal. Right. And that's how you get away with that. And it's legal, and nobody can dispute it. Right. Now, they could dispute it even so. It's like I said, if they want to see they you, lose. they lose. But, but then, yeah, they may lose, but it still costs you time and money. And uh, I've been really lucky because the guys, I got started uh, writing, doing interviews in 1996. I think it was 96. Yeah. I knew all the guys because I had traveled with them. You know, I was in the business. So, they were felt comfortable opening up to me. And that was during a time when the wrestlers weren't opening up with anybody yet. So yeah. I was really lucky to have that opportunity. But I've never had anybody. Uh, I, I would say 100% of the guys I've done interviews with have been just absolutely super happy. The fact that I even had an interest in, in representing their story in print. Because they just didn't believe anybody cared about it. I've had wrestlers tell me that. Says I've been out of the business since 1975, yeah. and I didn't think anybody even cared who I was anymore. I said, "You don't know these guys, these fans. They remember and they they love these stories. Yeah. They they love to know more about you, and they just it's hard for them to comprehend." It's, it's funny, funny you say that. Um, my friend Scott Casey uttered those almost verbatim uttered those words when uh, Nick Nashy wrote his book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one last ride, Tales of uh, Cowboy Scott Casey. Benny, uh, we're going to say goodnight to, uh, to Scott. So uh, I will give you the uh, 
the closing salvo, and you can uh, you can usher Scott into uh, his living room so he can finish packing up orders and books. <laughs> well, uh, Scott, this is a totally random question here. On your on your website, you have something. I think it says other other. I, I can't even remember the category. I, I clicked on it. Oh, the two two books. One is before Durango, and the other one's Durango. I think it's by oh, yeah. Chuck Thornton. Yeah, I, I was just wondering, like, why why they're there? It's just so it was so <laughs> random compared to everything else. My friend Chuck Thornton is a big wrestling fan in Atlanta. I mean, he's a collector. He he has stuff, just unbelievable collection of wrestling memorabilia. And he just called one day and he says, "I'd like to do a book on Charles Starrett." Now, Chuck had he's a big collector also of old Super Eight. You remember in the old comic books and magazines they used to have get Super Eight movies oh, yeah. of the Tom and Jerry cartoon or oh, some God, sure. and it was only like three minutes on these little reels of Super 8. Yeah. Well, he collected all that stuff and he collects oh, movie, posters, movie uh, uh, pictures and he has a lot of stuff on Charles Sterrett who, uh, who played a character called Durango in the old westerns and he wanted to do a book on Charles oh, Sterrett. Oh my God, it's pretty I know much a photo book is what it is. Uh, I mean, there's information as well. Uh, you know, he's got synopsis of the, of the films but wow. I am a huge film buff. All my life, I'd go to bookstores, oh. and I went, uh, first I'd go to the sports section. Well, I didn't really go to the sports section. I'd go to the magazines, because that's where the wrestling magazines were. Sports exactly. section, they didn't have books on wrestling, because they didn't write books on wrestling back then. You know, they didn't want yeah. all that stuff out there. So my next stop in a bookstore was always, um, what was I talking about? I had a senior moment. Movies. Oh. What's that? Movies, yeah. Movies. <laughs> was the, what they call, performing arts section of, of a bookstore. Yes. And I love the old books uh, on the movies. You know, they, they'd have, like, a book on Char, uh, Charlie Chaplin, all his films. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, all their films, and it have synopsis. Little Rascals, I love that book by Leonard oh, Maltz yeah. that came out. Oh, my God. Our gang. Oh, it was awesome because it had pictures of all the, from all their, all their uh, films and the information about it, and it was so cool. Well, when Chuck contacted me, I thought, yeah, I'd love to do something like a film book. It's something I've never tried before. So we did that. We did the uh, Durango book first. And after we did that, he contacted And I really did it as a favor. I mean, I haven't sold very many at all. But he, you know, he, he, he just wants to get, them, get the pictures out there, get the information yeah. out there. And after we did the first one, he came back one day. He says, I'd like to do a second one on Charles Sterrett, who was Durango. But it, in his other films where he wasn't, what didn't play the character. So I said, yeah, let's do that. Well, his next project, and I'm excited about this one, is on Amos and Andy, the old television. Oh, my God. Yes, sir. So I am pumped about that one. As I said, I'm a movie buff. I love it. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting started on that one. He's, he's oh, man. getting things together on it now. And I'd sort of like, I've got to talk with him first. I'd sort of like to include some of the old... Uh, information about the radio program the uh, i've got all the comic strips from the newspapers back i can't remember what years they were probably the 20s and 30s yeah uh, they had sure. a comic strip amos and andy so oh uh, at least so, yeah, at least i'm months. hoping that that comes about that he keeps working on it and that i eventually get to do that remarkable I, I hope so too i would love to see something like that yeah amazing the website is crowbarpress.com Scott Teal is the man behind that master machine. If you have a wrestling book in your house, Scott Teal's name is in it, on it, or he wrote it. 
Uh, and that's just as simple as that gets. Is there's, there's hardly a book ever written that doesn't have Scott Teal in it, on it, or wrote it. <laughs> I the appreciate book that. is uh, the Buddy Rogers book. Promote the Buddy Rogers book, uh, by the way. Yeah, it's just out. Uh, we just got them by a truck today. They came in, and uh, as soon as they got here, we started unpacking them. My wife's been shoving them in envelopes. I'm printing labels and printing postage, and uh, we hope to have all the orders. Uh, I got... Today, I only had time when the truck got here. I only had time to throw three copies in an express mail envelope to Tim Hornbaker, the, the author of the book. And uh, tomorrow, we'll be mailing out. It, I, we've gotten around 250 orders in the I, past I three apologize days. to adding to your workload there, Scott. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to your workload because I'm going to buy mine. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's Can great. I ask one more question, that. Angelo? What's that? Yeah, Can ahead, I ask man. one more question? Sure. Yeah. I feel like uh, Peter Falk, Colombo. You know, ma'am, ma just one more thing. I I almost forgot. <laughs> um, somebody like me who like I, in my head, I want to write a book one day. Like, do you accept manuscripts from people? And you know, yeah, sure do. I mean, if it, is it if it's about wrestling? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, if, yeah. Yeah. If if it's something else, I'd consider it. Like the film books, you know, I love that. You know. Uh, I'm not, I probably wouldn't do a fiction book because I just don't have the market for it. You know, people that buy my books are the people that know about wrestling. They know about me. And so the, so I have a fairly steady clientele of, you know, of readers, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I consider anything and it. It's never been about money. Uh, you know, I've written books and I'll use a couple examples cause, cause I've talked about it with them and they understand and they say the same thing, but it's like Duke West. He was a guy that wrestled in the 70s in Indiana, maybe lower Michigan, Ohio. He was a, and I say this nicely, a nobody. And he admits it. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, he was just a little guy that just, he, his biggest claim to fame was one television show he wrestled for Vern Gagne up in Minneapolis. That was the only time he made, that was the biggest he ever got. And he did, of course, he did a job. He lost the match. But mm -hmm. to him, it was awesome to be able to do so, that. Yeah. You know, but this guy yeah. had such a fascinating story of being a little guy on the road, just traveling from town to town to wrestle it. I was fascinated by it and it took me two yeah. years just to make, I, I don't remember how many copies I ordered, maybe 200, but it took me two years to sell enough copies to make my money back <laughs> on what it cost wow. me for, the, for that printing of the book, you know, and it's done. Okay. It, you know, it's not, it isn't a book you, you, you'd ever write to make any money. But like, again, it's about preserving exactly what Angelo said. It's about preserving the history. I don't care if it's mm -hmm. a big seller or not. I don't, I've never looked at trying to find main eventers. I mean, I've had, I've written books about the guys that were in the main events. I've had guys come to me and want me to write their books, but it's never been about that with me. A lot of times the main event guys don't have as good a story as some of these uh, right. lesser known guys, the opening match guys, the preliminary yeah. guys. Well, it's funny that you say that because on uh, on the episode we did with Dominic Danucci, we had a a surprise run in call for Dominic from one of his uh, his road buddies, uh, Bruce Swayze. Yes, and a lot of people don't know the name Bruce Swayze. You know, you and I do. Yes, uh, Benny may not even. I don't. I don't know if you know no, that no, name, Bruce Swayze. But Bruce traveled the world wrestling. Yeah, sure all, did. All over the place, and a lot of people don't know him. Right. And we're going to have him one. I'm going to dedicate a whole show just to Bruce. I, uh, somebody, he's one of those guys, Scott. Fascinating guy that you never heard yeah. about. 
Absolutely. I, I've written uh, those wrestling archive projects. They're strictly interviews with guys. But those, a lot of those uh, interviews are coming from my uh, 53 issues of my old wrestling, uh, whatever happened to magazine. Right. And I have interviews with guys I'll guarantee neither one of you have ever heard heard of. And, but they are interesting. They're fascinating stories as they tell about their time in the business. Yeah. Uh, so, so I enjoy doing those. I've had people tell me they enjoy reading about those as much as, as the more main, semifinal, the main event guys. Because oh those gosh. guys they never heard of. And those guys saw a side of the business that the main event guys never saw. They saw the hardships, you know. Absolutely. Just barely be able, healing four or five guys in one motel yeah. room cramming six great big monster guys into a car to make the town because they didn't have We talked about that. that when Larry Zabisco was here. You know, five guys, six guys sharing a car, uh, throwing the box spring uh, and mattress, yep. you know. So so somebody would have, you know, extra places to sleep. It's crazy. Absolutely. Scott, I got to let you go. I'm going to let you get back to your, uh, Thank back you. to your orders. Thank you so much. Um, please come back again when all the orders are out. We're ready. And you're and you're in a lull between bestsellers. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> I would love to have you back again. Scott Teal is the man behind crowbarpress.com. He's the guy whose name is on your book. Somewhere in your house, his name's on your book. Yep. <laughs> Thank you all very much. It. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And I uh, Thank you, come Scott. back anytime you'd like. If I can help you in any way, don't you know, don't hesitate. And likewise, if there's any info you need from me, I've been around a long time, brother. I worked for, for WWF way, way back when. I still want to bring that guy on your show that I talked to you about. So don't tell me. Just surprise me. Okay. You just let yeah. me know when you want to do it. Uh, next, well, after all the books are out. Okay. Well, that's going to be forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until I know, right? I'm gone. <laughs> oh, you well, mean the ones well, I'm shipping maybe out. Maybe like the, the end of January. Maybe like the third week of January. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you all. Scott Teal, thank you so much. Have a good one, my friend. Nice you all too. Take care. Scott Teal, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great one. That was a great wow. interview, Benny. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, you're going to get a, a manuscript out to him. Maybe wow. you got something in the works here? Are you the next, the next big thing with it? It's something I've always wanted to do, and I love wrestling. And I'm kind of, I mean, what really impressed me about him is, you know he's not in it for the buck. He's in it because he, he loves to write about wrestling, and that, that's kind of the same thing with me. I mean, you know, yeah. if I got a check, a royalty check for a dollar, I'd frame it because now I'm, I'm a published paid <laughs> author. You know, that, that dollar would mean something, and that, but that, that's all I really want. I mean, I just want somebody to say, hey, that was a really good book you wrote. I got news for you. It's funny. When, when he was on the first episode we had, uh, was, was me uh, and Nikita Brezhnikov and Scott were here. And... Um, and we were talking about, you know, and Nikki and I were, were like, you know, dumbfounded that our names are actually on books. He goes, I can't believe my name is on a book. I said, yes, yeah, scary, isn't it? Think about the fact that, that I wrote, you know, books, crazy stuff. But the funny thing was that in, you know, in my case, and, and they didn't, these guys, they didn't get rich from it. You know, Nikki and, and Scott, they don't get rich from this stuff, you know. When you're making, you know, uh, pennies on the dollar or whatever the case may be, but certainly you're getting paid for it. In my case, my book actually cost me money because I didn't charge. I, I gave it all. <laughs> I gave them all away. Um, and you know what? I do it again too. 
Um, you, you liked writing it, though, right? You enjoyed it. I, that was the whole thing. That was it right there. That was the whole thing. I enjoyed the process um, of writing. You know? Um, you know, I wasn't sure if I was spelling words right. It was a challenge. You know, um, and then, you you know, you're sitting there for hours on end. Your eyes get start going goofy, and you start seeing things and witches on broomsticks and and then you reread it and say, did I really write that? Like, Yeah, exactly. Or, or you start saying to yourself, did I write that earlier in the book? Am I repeating myself? Yeah, exactly. Then you have to go back and do- like double check your own work. Because sometimes these stories run into each other, you know? So what is going on in the world of Scala from Ocala? Um, working from home now, at least for the near future, which gives me time to do this and, you know, spend some time writing, which... I'm eternally grateful for. Good. I'm well, you have that... a, a new uh, uh, a new article that's going to be uh, popping up on pro wrestling stories on Dominic Danucci. Uh, when can we look to see that one? Um, well, I think his birthday. I'm not sure. I know it's in January. I'm not sure the exact date. I think it's around the 12th. Maybe I could be wrong. Um, that sounds about right. So I'd like to have it finished before then. Just you know, kind of like a, a birthday present for him. I'll tell you what, and if let me just check something real quick. I want to check my schedule real quick. If that's the case, boy, I would love to have him on the show with you. You know, I, he's. I guess he, his health's a little bit better, and uh, well, he's in great shape. Yeah. I mean, he's fine. I think he's more bored than anything else right now, so maybe that would be a good thing. Yeah, I'm no, I, I know what he's, he's got a little bit of property. Uh, you know, he goes out and tends to his garden. He, he walks every day. He goes to the YMCA every day. Is so he still working out? He's still working out, yeah. Wow. Unreal. He's amazing, this guy. He's like the Energizer Bunny. No, he's in great shape. Um. But yeah, I think uh, I'll have him back on with you, and you can you can uh, read your article to him, or uh, you know, tell him about your article. Yeah, I think he'd really. I'd like love it. to have him on there with you. Sure. Well, so Benny can be found on Facebook, Benny Scala. They just look for Benny Scala. Look under Benny Piano Wire too, or Big Ben. There you go. <laughs> exactly, uh, and of course, you know, ProWrestlingStories.com. Uh, you know, you got a couple of articles up there. I think about two or three of them, right? I got actually have well three that I'm credited for three. I only really wrote two. One I transcribed an interview, so two legit. Okay. And this will be my third. But I'm okay. kind of hoping now. I got to catch up to Javier. There you go. You better you better work He's overtime, brother. <laughs> yeah. And for us, we are at wrestling with the future. Now, let me tell you what we at. You can find us on uh, Instagram. Facebook, of course, and Twitter. And let me tell you where you can find us on each of these places. because it does vary a little bit. On Twitter, we are at Wrestling Future. There's no G in that. At Wrestling Future. On Instagram, we are at Wrestling With The Future. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com forward slash Wrestling With The Future. And we do have a public and private page. Now. You'll get more content on the private page, obviously, and breaking news on the private page that you will not get on the public page. 
if you want to send us a show suggestion, comment, um, or have something to contribute, you can email us at wrestlingwiththefuture at gmail.com. We do answer everything. Sometimes it takes a little bit because we get a little busy, but we do answer everything. Um, tell you what's coming up this week on Thursday night, the return of Stephen Plim. Stephen Plim, you ask, he was the manager of Tiny Tim, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. He will be back wow. uh, with us this week, Thursday night. Next week, we've got a big week. We have, let me just make sure I get it right here. I'm going to get my schedule, Ben. Forgive me for, for leaning. Uh, next week, we've got Mary Kennedy from the television show Shameless. Uh, you've seen her there. And also, you've seen her as part of a, a, a really fascinating Broadway Tony-nominated show called Afterglow. It was the musical tribute to the Glow Girls from pro wrestling's Glow era. And Mary played Sylvester Stallone's mom, Jackie Stallone, in the show Afterglow. And she'll be with us on the 15th with Nikita Brezhnikov. He'll be here. Um, That will pretty much do it for December because, we, as I mentioned before, we do have an abbreviated month this month because of, you know, the holidays and Thanksgiving, I mean, for Thanksgiving, Christmas and all that stuff. However, right after the first of the year, we're going to get busy again. We've got, you know, her as Mad Maxine again from, uh, from glow, uh, Mad Maxine is, uh, is Janine. Um, and I still can't pronounce her name, so I'm not going to pr- try to. It's Janine. <laughs> um, well, we've got uh, uh, also in uh, in January a fascinating guy returning, Nick Christopher, and he's bringing a very special guest with him, um, alleged mafia hitman who worked for John Gotti. His name is John Elite. Or pronounced elite or a light, depending on how you want to pronounce it. John will be here. Uh, he will be with us on Skype from an undisclosed location and somewhere in the world. We don't know, but he will be here to talk about his alleged involvement as a mafia hitman working for John Gotti. Um, Nick Christopher's book, Prison Rules, is about John Elite's life. Also, our friend George Anastasia uh, wrote a, a story, in fact, the whole book on John Elite called Gotti's Rules, a best-selling book that's uh, garnered the attention of John Gotti Jr. None too happy about either of these guys, but apparently what they wrote is they have a right to, to write it. Uh, John Gotti Jr. will be invited to be a part of this show. If he accepts, that's great. If he declines, that's okay too. But in the interest of full disclosure and in equal opportunity, I have to invite all the parties involved because that's what we do. We're fair here. That being said, we got a lot coming up. Um, and I will be talking to Dan, the man and big Ben, uh, they will be taking over the wrestling portion of, 
of the show, uh, as I will be handling all the non-wrestling stuff. So, um, the guys are going, I'm, I'm giving it to the younger general, well, the semi, some semi younger. (laughs) Don't start with me, Ben. (laughs) Oh shit. Anyway, we're going to say good night to everybody. Have a great night, everybody. Happy wrestling. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Uh, and, uh, and, and keep on keeping on. We're all going to get this. Uh, we'll get through this together and we'll be all, yeah, all right. All right. Do you have sweaty balls or volleyball netty balls? It's time to make them ready balls. The manscaped.com lawnmower 3.0 will do the job and clean your knob with its patented no nick head so your head will function as desired. Enter promo code Wrestling Future for a generous 20% discount. That's Enter Wrestling Future for a 20% discount. Manscaped.com and Wrestling with the Future going balls to the walls with Manscaped.com and the Lawnmower 3.0. Your balls will thank you. And so will we. <laughs>